Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Thursday, November 9th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in the New York tri-state area. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Jay Doherty. And here are today's headlines. Last night, the final five in the race for the Republican presidential nomination met in Miami to debate issues impacting the United States and the world. And over the past few months, my co-host Jay Doherty has been following that race. So Jay, ever since the Israel-Palestine war began about a month ago, this conflict has been dominating headlines. So when we were watching the debate last night, it was really no surprise that the first segment was dedicated entirely to the conflict. What do the candidates have to say about the war? Well, David, every candidate on the stage last night was pro-Israel. While there were differences in how the candidates would address the issue of anti-Semitism and free speech in America, the candidates unanimously agreed on their unwavering support for the state of Israel and the right to defend itself. Chris Christie echoed the sentiments of all the candidates on stage when he said this. These problems are so big and serious that the first thing I would say to, to Prime Minister Netanyahu is pretty simple. America is here, no matter what it is you need at any time, to preserve the state of Israel. You know, and we can't forget about the other war going on right now between Russia and Ukraine, which has been a bit of a hot-button issue in the previous debates. So this time around, what were the candidates saying about this war? Well, ongoing disagreements persisted regarding U.S. aid and intervention in the war. I think on one side you had Nikki Haley and Chris Christie, who championed a vigorous foreign policy, who who stood in solidarity with Ukraine and dismissed pacifists as either idealistic or amateurish. Meanwhile, there was Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy, who are aligning with a faction of Republicans inclined towards a more isolationist foreign policy that seeks to minimize U.S. spending abroad. But what was really unique about this debate was how the candidates drifted from the Ukrainian border to talk about America's southern border. Here's Ron DeSantis. Well, any suggestion by Zelensky or anyone else that we should, that we're going to eventually have U.S. troops there, I can tell the American people when I'm president, that will not happen. We are not going to send your sons and daughters to Ukraine. I am going to send troops to our southern border. I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to have the military and I'm going to deport the people who've come, particularly under Biden, who've come from the Middle East. So the next section of this debate focused on China. What was the most notable thing here, Jay? Well, interestingly, the Chinese-owned app TikTok played a big role in the discussion of U.S.-Chinese foreign policy. With the exception of Vivek Ramaswamy, it seemed everyone on that stage last night was in support of banning or at least severely regulating TikTok. Here's what Senator Tim Scott had to say. What we should do is ban TikTok, period. If you cannot ban TikTok, you should eliminate the Chinese presence on the app, period. And the last section of this debate was about abortion, which has been on some ballots in a couple of different states and also has been an issue that the Republicans have been peddling these past couple of months. Who stood out here in this section of the debate? Well, former Governor Nikki Haley had an interesting center moment in which she described herself as unapologetically pro-life, but hesitant to support a federal ban on abortions for reasons of pragmatism and the prerogatives of individual states. Post-Roe, a wrong was made right. They took it out of the hands of unelected justices and they put it in the hands of the people. And now we're seeing states vote. And what I'll tell you is, as much as I'm pro-life, I don't judge anyone for being pro-choice and I don't want them to judge me for being pro-life. So when we're looking at this, there are some states that are going more on the pro-life side. I welcome that. There are some states that are going more on the pro-choice side. I wish that wasn't the case, but the people decided. 
And Jay, I want to close with a moment that's kind of been going viral. What happened between Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley last night? Well, David, Haley and Ramaswamy took their rivalry to another level in this debate. There were multiple instances of attacks on both sides, but nothing was more strong than this moment, where Vivek mentioned the former governor's daughter, and then she fired back, talking over him. I want to laugh at why Nikki Haley didn't answer your question, which was about looking at families in the eye. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. Adult daughter. The next generation of Americans are using it. And that's actually the point. You have her supporters crapping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're just the easy scum. answer... This seems like one of the many instances in American politics where the back and forth of debates turned nasty and unhelpful. And like the last two debates, it's worth mentioning that this one will likely not play a big role in voters' decisions, since Republican frontrunner Donald Trump is leading by double digits in every poll. Well, thank you for all of that, Jay. I always look forward to our chats the night after these debates. Now, let's move on to some news back here in the city. Students across the five boroughs are planning a school walkout today to demand a ceasefire in Gaza. According to a flyer posted on social media, more than 100 New York City schools will join the walkout to call on lawmakers to end what they're calling U.S. support for genocide. Schools Chancellor David Banks is asking DOE teachers to keep their political opinions out of the classroom, especially if their students join the protest. There are also reports of similar walkouts in New Jersey and Long Island. But in the city, officials are expecting student protesters to convene at Bryant Park around 3 p.m. Hollywood is back. After about four months of striking, the union representing actors announced late last night that they've reached a tentative contract agreement. This puts an end to a record-breaking strike. That's right. It's been 118 days since the beginning of this movement. In that time, the SAG-AFTRA union and major Hollywood studios negotiated pay, AI use restrictions, benefits, and more. SAG-AFTRA has said the new deal will see union members receive the largest increase in minimum wages in 40 years. The mayor of Los Angeles and the governor of California both expressed gratitude and relief that a major part of their state's economy is now back in business. Christmas is more than a month away, but that doesn't stop New York from celebrating early. The 2023 Rockefeller Center Christmas tree was cut down this morning, and it'll be transported over 200 miles to Midtown Manhattan today. This year's tree is an 80-year-old Norway spruce from upstate New York. Standing 80 feet tall, it weighs over 12 tons. Look out for the tree to arrive early Saturday morning in the Rockefeller Plaza. There will be family activities to honor the holidays, and the tree's official lighting will be on November 29th. Last night's Country Music Awards have officially made history. Tracy Chapman has become the first black songwriter in the CMA's 56-year history to win Song of the Year. Her hit single, Fast Car, won the award even though it was released all the way back in 1988. And if you're asking yourself how that's possible, it's because country music star Luke Combs covered the song in 2023. Combs' version of Fast Car won him a CMA for Single of the Year, another one of the show's top awards. And when he accepted the award, Combs expressed his reverence for Chapman. And even before the award show, Chapman was already breaking barriers. When Combs' version of Fast Car went number one, she became the first black woman to ever score a number one hit on the country charts. Over the next few weeks, the WFUV newsroom is speaking with organizations that promote mental health for teenagers in New York. This week, I sat down with Harmony Program's founder and executive director, Ann Fitzgibbon, about the work it's doing to help bring music and community 
to underserved schools across New York City. Can you just tell me a little bit about how you got started with Harmony Program? Sure. Well, I was a musician myself. I studied the clarinet once upon a time, but my career had taken me in the direction of public policy and government. And it was when I was working in the New York City mayor's office that I came to realize the scarcity of instrumental music programs in the public schools. And that's what sparked this idea that here in this culturally rich city of New York, of New York, we should be able to recruit talent and place musicians in communities in need. That's really where the idea started. What exactly do y'all do for students and teens in the city? Like, What's the mission of Harmony Program at its heart? Yeah, so the Harmony Program brings musical training directly into communities that are underserved in New York City. So we recruit very accomplished musicians, we provide them with training, and then we place them in classrooms through partnerships with schools and community-based organizations. And we provide children with the musical instruments and supplies that they need with after-school, in-school, and Saturday and summer instruction, as well as access to various cultural opportunities around the city. And this is all available to our students free of charge. What do you find most important about the work that Harmony Program does? I think what people don't often realize is how important music can be to the learning process. That when children are practicing music, they are practicing skills and habits that support their healthy social development, their academic achievement, and their prospects for long-term success. And to be more specific, children learn to listen to one another. They learn to focus and, and persist. They learn to take a challenge, something daunting, like a piece of music, and break it down into manageable pieces that they can practice. So maybe they break it down line by line, measure by measure, note by note. And I think learning that skill is something that children can carry with them to whatever they, they want to do with their lives. For example, last year we were celebrating our 15th anniversary, and so we were mining these stories of our alumni. There was one little girl, Tamika, who started on the cello when she was in second grade. She was as tiny as the instrument, and boy, she got to study at the at prestigious music summer camps, study with musicians of the New York Philharmonic, She's graduated um, and now she's working in the music industry. So she was a very talented young musician, but she wanted to be in the music industry and she found a place there. And I should say that's something else we try to do for these young people is open their eyes to all the opportunities that exist in music, not just to play music, but to be a part of uh, the broader field. That was my co-host David Escobar with Ann Fitzgibbon from the Harmony Program. To find out more about the program and to see how you can get involved, visit HarmonyProgram.org. And that's our show for today. But check back with us tomorrow around 3 o'clock for more news, music, and culture. And as always, you can find more from us at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Jay Doherty. And that's What's What.